hello, welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Spawn, the 1997 film. It stars Michael J. White in the title role alongside John Leguizamo, Martin Sheen, Teresa Randall, D.B. Sweeney and Nicole Williamson in his final film role. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah. Um, in the 90s, when this movie came out, I was in high school and Spawn, other than the X-Men, Spawn was like the biggest comic out at the time. Um, I'd only read a handful because I didn't have money because I was a high school student. Uh, but I remember thinking the visual style and the ideas of the comic were awesome. Uh, what was your like familiarity with the character? I think my first exposure would have been the Frank Miller written crossover with Batman. I yep. think that would have been my first exposure, and then, and then the film. Yeah, when did that come out? I, I can't remember. Yeah, the 90s. Like Spawn was a character that I knew of. It had the big red cape, I think bigger than any other any other comic character at the time or since. Yeah. But I knew the character. I mean, I want to start by saying, yes, we are reviewing the film, and it's very timely, the 25th anniversary. But it's also the 25th anniversary for the critically acclaimed HBO animated series, which we were going to review. My fault. I just realized <laughs> I was running out of time to watch three seasons of that show to do a full review. So I suggested that we do the movie instead. So we will get to the animated series at a later date, but both the series and the film celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. And I've seen that DC Comics are doing another Batman Spawn crossover and then also celebrating the character of Spawn. They're doing a series of variant covers. But I don't know if Image are doing anything because Spawn was such a big character for them. Yeah, he was like the character. Uh, Todd McFarlane is the creator, uh, both writer and artist for Spawn. Uh, he was one of the handful of creators that at the in the early 90s were working for Marvel. He was working on Spider-Man. You had Jim Lee working on X-Men. Uh, Rob Liefeld on... Not on Deadpool. He was on New Mutants. Well, he, did, other... he did Young... Was it Young Blood or Young Bloods for Image? Young... I think it was Young Bloods. Yeah. That was his. Yeah, that was, was his super blood. team. Yeah, he. Uh, you had Gen Thirteen by Jim Lee, Spawn, of McFarlane, and the other guy who has been doing it the whole time was Eric Larson, who did Savage Dragon. That was the original, like guys who did Image, and I believe Spawn was the first out the gate. Um, it was the big one. It was the one that made the biggest impact to begin with. Uh, other than Eric Larson, all of those creators 
have ended up working back at the big companies. Uh, Jim Lee created his own imprint, Wild Storm, which was the team he created for Wild no Wild Storm because he did Storm Stormfront and Wildcats. Was that Stormwatch? That's, that's, Stormwatch, that's the one. Uh, he created Wildstorm as like an imprint, like naming his two creator own things, and eventually sold that to DC, and then started working for DC in like quite a large role. Uh, you've had Liefeld bouncing back and forth between Marvel and DC for years. Uh, but yeah, only told McFarlane and Eric Larson stuck to their guns and continued to do the thing with Image. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dragon, yeah. every single issue written and drawn by Eric Larson, except for one or two where he had guest artists just for anniversary issues. And he still did the backup feature. Which is very, issues. very impressive. I was going to say that with McFarlane, he's a big personality, isn't he? And just going back to that animated series, he introduces the episodes. There's like mm. there's a little live action vignette of him in his studio illustrating pages of Spawn, which I thought was really cool. But again, we will get to that. With this film, did you spot his cameo? He's in it. As He's a on the homeless. Yeah. yeah. So that was um that was pretty cool that they got to include him in his film. Cause yeah, I mean, Spawn was his, is his, and will always be his. The film depicts the origin story of the title character, a murdered U.S. Marine who is resurrected as the reluctant leader of Hell's Army. Spawn is one of the first films to feature an African-American actor portraying a major comic book superhero. Now, I said one of. The first was Meteor Man, Robert Townsend, back in 1993, and I think 1994, we got Damon Wayans in Blank Man. Yeah, but that was an original creation, not a pre-existing. Actually, both of them are original creations. Yes, Meteor Man, Blank Man were original creations, both comedies. But I thought worth mentioning the fact, well, again, African-American actor portraying a superhero. But yeah, it wasn't until... 97 that we got Michael J. White and before him apparently there were going to people like Will Smith I think maybe they approached Wesley Snipes but they were going to different actors and at the time Michael J. White he had to make a choice was he going to do Spawn or was he going to play Jax in Mortal Kombat Annihilation (laughs) I mean both films critically weren't received well, but I'm sure he would agree that he made the better choice. Well, he definitely got a bit more runtime uh, and got a lot more exposure. Um, do you have the budget for this film? I remember at the time it being like a big budget superhero film. I do. I mean... Yeah, I mean, so this was 97. The budget was between 40 and 45 million. Yeah, which is huge. I mean, at the time, Batman movies were double this, but that was the only superhero movies getting made. 
Same year. Batman movies. Same yeah. year as George Clooney in Batman and Robin. The box office for this film, 87.9 million. Unfortunately, it did receive generally negative reviews. So that's not ideal because they were planning Spawn 2, Spawn 3. This film, from memory, I think VHS would have been the first time that I saw it. I mean, this year, 97, I did watch Batman and Robin at the cinema, but this may have been a 15 in the UK. Yeah, I uh, I saw this at the cinema, but it wasn't during its like it, its early run. It was during the movie marathons where you could pay like the price of like two movies, but you'd get to watch four, and then start at like eight p.m. and you'd go all the way through <laughs> to like three or four in the morning with intermissions between all of them to refuel on like drinks, pee, get a get more candy and stuff. And I that's where I saw this was during a movie marathon back in uh, when when it first came out. Um, but I I do I just recall it being like a massive thing because. It was still fairly early CGI, um, practical suit, huge character. Like, I, I, I really can't illustrate to people listening just how big the character was at the time. Like, as I said, there was like, you had those like X Men and Spider Man, DC, there was always Batman and uh, the Justice League and Superman. But in comics, outside of those guys, Spawn was the biggest hit. Like, that's how big the character was when he first not, came out. Not mainstream, though. Yes, comics, absolutely. Comic readers knew this character. And there was clearly something with this character for them to what seemed like simultaneously to make an animated series for HBO and a live-action film. And they thought it was going to take off. I've just run the numbers. See, it was a certificate 15 in the UK. When it came out, I was 13. I remember being 14 years of age and being turned away from There's Something About Mary. So I absolutely (laughs) would not have been able to successfully get a ticket for this movie. So VHS, that's where I would have watched it in, in the late 90s. But yeah, in the comics world, yeah, big deal. Massive deal, and for an indie character as well. And it it almost felt like, I mean, you can pick up Action Comics issue one. That's Superman. I mean, he's not flying, but he's leaping tall buildings in a single bound. He's doing all those things, fully realized for the most part. That was Spawn as well. So it felt like a product that was ready to go, but it just didn't didn't click with audiences. I mean, the director of the film, Mark A.Z. Dippy or Dippe. I'm really not familiar with the the director, but I did look at what else he's done. Most recently, for Netflix, he did the animated remake of Marmaduke. He did that. He's done nothing but director home release movies. A lot of Garfield cartoons. I did come across... Those, but Spawn, to date, 
it's his only theatrical release film. Yeah, and uh, I did notice he was big on visual effects of major movies from the uh, early 90s and late 80s. Uh, clearly worked for ILM, um, who... So I, I know I don't think he was a like a lead special effects supervisor because at the time that would have been a Dennis Muir or John Knoll something like that, but definitely like fairly high up in ILM, uh, which is why I assume they got him. Because well, I didn't know that, and now it makes a bit more sense. I mean, hearing who they were looking at before him, original choice. Tim Burton. Well, of course. He'd done Batman yeah. in 89, Returns in 92. Why wouldn't you want him for Spawn in 97? Yeah, dark character, a comic character, someone who was, who'd made successful comic book movies for the first time since Christopher Reeve. But they were looking for a darker approach. Another director that they were looking to go to was Alex Proyas, the Aussie director. He'd done The Crow, and he didn't do this. Instead, he went to direct Dark City, which came out in 98, a whole year before The Matrix. And when people see Dark City now, they scoff at it and call it a Matrix ripoff, whereas it was doing the Matrix before the Matrix. But anyway, that's a, but yeah, that's that's a whole I remember, other thing. I remember watching it first going, oh, this is this is interesting. Um, yeah, and when you were talking about directors, I'm like, surely they would have gone for the guy who did the crow. You'd have to, given the, well, they uh, did. the gothic nature <laughs> of, the, of the character. Um, breaking down the character, he's always... He's always been odd to me. Like I remember initially at the time being into him because he was visually incredibly interesting. Uh, so much more detail in his comic art than what everything else that was coming out at the time. Uh, also, typically nineties extreme, running around with guns, like spikes popping out of nowhere, chains that like cut people in half. The Violator, very interesting character, and like. You know, the, all the hell demon stuff. The, when you watch this movie and the intro credits roll, you know exactly when this movie was made. Mm, yes. They're so 90, late 90s, early 2000s. It's crazy. Like, you might as well add, the, the, there might as well be tribal tattoos running and barbed wire tattoos walking on the people on in this movie. Like, it's so clear. Um the era we're working in. Um, Michael Jai White, I think is also uh, a, a reason, uh, a good thing to point out is stuntman, professional martial artist, uh, I believe a champion in, I believe it was Taekwondo, uh, maybe it was kickboxing or something like, uh, like that nature not like a taekwondo or karate or kung fu it was i think i'm pretty sure it's more kickboxing muay thai um i think this was like his first like proper acting role um yeah that sounds think, right yeah i think they would like 
they needed someone physical. And this, and given the fact that he was going to be on such heavy prosthetics, which he is, they are very heavy prosthetics. Uh, a big suit that cut he's is you know other than the opening scenes you don't see his face at all um it was a risk worth taking i guess you know when they'd gone to like the will smiths and the wesley snipes and whichever the other actors had gone to at the time i guarantee every single one of them was like well you don't see my face why would i play that character like i i, I it's a something that happens to this day Judge Dredd was still alone. They kept taking his helmet off because well, that was money for Judge Dredd. Mid nineties, Carl Urban for the most part kept it on. I think he, yeah. he, took, he took it off once, but you never saw his face. <laughs> so, like, but yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I get, Deathstroke, I get your point. Yeah, Deathstroke in the Suicide Squad movie. Will Smith, instead of having his full hood as he's always had in the comics, like I mean, always had in the comics, they give him the like cable-esque little eye scope thingo which i'm like oh god like you just had to show that you had will smith didn't gotta you? show the actor um just want to interject dead shot not death stroke i don't want to get complaints sorry yes dead, yeah sorry yeah dead. <laughs> but sorry. I, I, yes I, but I, I get your meaning but it's just like in the you know the mcu like they take the mask off like it happens like Rob Downey yeah. Jr., let's we need a way to see his face even when he's in the armor. Okay, we can figure out a way, and that's when you get that point of view from inside his helmet. But Michael Jai White, I think, I mean, do you know what? There's a lot of problems with this film. None of the problems are him. He okay. is doing what is expected of him, and you know he's gone on to do other comic book adaptions. Like he was in The Dark Knight. For DC yeah. on TV, he yeah. was Ben Turner, Bronze Tiger in the Arrowverse, and then yeah. he played another version of Bronze Tiger in a recent animated film, uh, Batman's Soul of the Dragon. He was in that. And if we're looking at Marvel, in the upcoming Midnight Suns game, he's played. Yeah, and um, Lil Gamble is his character from Dark Knight. But Every single person in this movie that is not Teresa Randall is overacting. <laughs> I mean, literally every single character. I believe I don't think there's a single line that Michael Jai White delivers that's not like in Batman voice. I don't like to use that term, but he's every single thing's anything, anything for Wanda. That's a direct, I mean, very yeah, accurate. That's what he's... <laughs> Everyone's that starting at 10. There's nowhere else for them to go except for yelling. Like, I mean, that's where you... everyone, every single scene. <laughs> are you trying to tell me that John Leguizamo is overacting in this? <laughs> as, as the clown. And, yeah, I, I, I suspect for, 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 the, for those two specifically... They're under such heavy prosthetics. The oh, both of them. yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> uh, facial prosthetics, really especially. So they're probably thinking, I really have to exaggerate to get my facial expressions through all of this plastic. I, I guess, and I know it's not plastic, it's probably silicon rubber or silicon foam or some variation of that kind of stuff uh, in a compound thing. I like, I watch a lot of behind the scenes features on how they do this. 
But not just that, John Leguizamo is in a very drowning, balloon-esque, heavy bodysuit. In his crap, like because he is really short in that suit. You know, when he was describing what it was like to wear the fat suit, he described it like a penis wearing a condom. <laughs> that's, that's and and for him to get in that clown suit, he had to undergo two and a half hours of makeup and prosthetics, and he had to wear the fat suit, of course, to we could transform into the into the clown. Yeah. I mean, also those dentures, the dentures. But you know what? The clown looks like he just leapt off the page. Yeah, I mean, does. it's a faithful adaption, but at the same time you can see and hear the actor come through. So yeah. they did a pretty a pretty good job, but, you know, you're talking, chewing up the scenery. This is a film that co-stars Martin Sheen. Yeah, he's, he's also... He, he's he also overacting. He's CIA director Jason Wynn. I mean, this was the first time that he was to star in a comic book film. Years later, in 2012, we got him as Uncle Ben in the amazing spider-man but he wanted to be in a comic book film and this was an opportunity for him to do that but again this came out two years after batman forever maybe you watched that film and thought ah so that's what we're doing i yeah some of that also you know every, they kept saying cia but everything on the screen said a6 i'm like is that division inside the cia i'm confused like i know in the comic books Specifically, he was a CIA operative or special ops operative, uh, Al Simmons. But uh, I, yeah, I, that's something that actually super confused me with this movie. Like when they kept saying CIA guy, but I'm like, but it just says A6 headquarters, not CIA headquarters. Uh, and they're all wearing badges that say A6 in their, you know, fascist black. I mean, that uh, sounds like a, a blaring mistake. So I'm not quite sure what's going on there. You know, near the end of the film, Jason Wynn is being escorted out of Wanda and Terry's house by two detectives. The detectives are Sam Burke and Twitch Williams, who appear in the comic book, Sam and Twitch. So I've heard of them just like I've heard of Spawn. And at one point, Kevin Smith was writing a live-action Sam and Twitch TV show. We ended up getting cancelled. But we almost got something there. Like we're still meant to be getting a Blumhouse produced Todd McFarlane involved and directed Spawn film starring Jamie Foxx. Yeah, starring Jamie Foxx as Al Simmons Spawn. Um hey, I'll believe it. I'll believe when I see it. Apparently it is it is um it's still, still coming, but we'll yeah. just have to wait a little bit longer yeah. on that. Yeah, the thing the thing with uh, Mark Sheen in this terrible die job, like, <laughs> I know for a fact by this, I mean, one, he's always had, like, dark blonde hair, uh, and he's got black hair, but also he, at the age he was, he was already graying at this point, but it is very obviously a bad die job. Um, yeah, he man is he tuning and he's I don't want to say comic book evil, he's comically evil. Like yeah, there yeah. seems to be no uh directorial like 
uh, direction or choice that's not, remember, you're an evil guy. I need maniacal laughing. I need, like, chewing on cigar. I need, like, yeah, over over the top everything. Um, which, which I, I feel like that's everyone in this movie. That's Melinda Clark as uh, Jessica Priest. Um, that's only uh, Nicole Williamson as Cogliostro and the kid Zach, played by Mike Hughes, are the only ones at normal. Oh, you know what? D.B. Uh, Sweeney is Terry Fitzgerald's actually delivering things at a normal human decibel level. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like the three out of the entire cast playing this at normal human levels everyone else is like way 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 over the top um they did multiple versions of violator there's clearly a large uh puppet or animatronic violator and then the super obvious cgi version uh yeah. 1997 yeah. CGI was not up to the task of this film. So the the demon creature at the end is that what you talk about with the open mouth? That's Mal Borgia, right? Okay, the same look. He's the one with the fur. And he's yeah, ridiculously okay. Giant violator is the one he's fighting whilst falling through right. hell. Mal, what did you say? Mal Borgia. Mal Borgia. Let's yeah. let's talk about that character, voiced by. Frank Welker, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, I'm Fred. It is Scooby-Doo. Um, Welker also voiced The Thing, another devil-type being in The Golden Child that came out in 86. Pretty much used the same voice for for both roles. But let's talk about the design in this. You know, Earlier on, we see Spawn and he's very obvious cgi cape it yeah. looks like a computer graphic but you know what gonna give him a pass because i love the fact that they've just gone for it i mean what todd mcfarlane puts on the page to achieve that whether it was in 97 or now would be hard to do because although it works great in comic form it's pretty ridiculous how big it is. But we get this computer animated version of it, but you've got on the rooftop spawn and that massive cape. I'm like, do you know what? It doesn't hold up visually, but I'm going to give them a pass. I love that they swung for the fences, and that's great. But this character, it is an absolute shocker. It really is. And it's where, the, I mean, there's no justifying it. I mean, originally it was going to be a puppet before it was decided to make him fully CGI. The reasoning why his mouth doesn't move, it's because the filmmakers wanted to imply that he's speaking through hell. Bullshit. Yeah, I mean, that that's is an excuse. They could make it work. They that make it is work. an I mean, excuse. It doesn't, yeah, it barely works on the comic book page. It's uh, like, it's like, guys, guys, by budget. His, his mouth's not moving. Oh, yeah, no, 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 it's because he's speaking through hell. 
Will you not finish the animation? No, honestly, speaking through hell, that's what we've decided would be the best approach. Yeah. The irony is it would have been cheaper back then as a puppet. It was prohibitively expensive to do CGI. This is uh, thanks to my watching Corridor Crew and VFX artists react on YouTube. I'm very aware of the technology and how it was used at the time. This was all hand animated. There was no cloth simulation, which is something they do now, which like when I think of capes in, and CGI, I think of uh, Superman Returns with, with uh, Brandon Routh and when he's in space and the way it perfectly flows. I'm like, that is cloth simulation. When you see... Uh, something star wars where the jedi jump with their cloak and it flaps yeah that's cloth simulation when you see uh any superhero movie these days and uh i think amazing spider-man uh two with andrew garfield and the opening and he's, he's falling and the and the fabric is moving that's all simulated that is a computer thing that they've said these are the forces it's reacting with and it does a physics simulation so they didn't have that for this some team of people had to physically sit there and draw it every frame how it's supposed to move how it's supposed to look you're talking hours and hours of like time and that goes for Mal Borgia as well like it it just video games uh cutscenes on the playstation look better than this yeah honestly it is it is shocking and do you know what do you know what's also really bad around about the same time you see him the army of spawns in hell and they're all copy kind of like just waving <laughs> yeah copy and paste the waving the arms are jumping up and down you're like oh that's terrible you know you mentioned the transformation from the clown to violator that took eight months to do from storyboarding to modeling all the way to the final render eight months, which admittedly looked better than the other guy. And yeah, you probably notice yeah. I'm not saying his name, Malborgia, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, it is. It is a shocker. I mean, I mentioned UK certificate 15 tonally, like, the film initially in the US was given an R rating by the MPAA due to the violent content. After some edits, the film was finally able to obtain a PG-13 rating. After the film was eventually released on home video, it was given the original R-rated cut. Some would argue that after seeing the comparing both cuts, they can barely tell the difference. So I'm not quite sure what they changed there. I mean, the body count in this movie, six. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if this film really warrants a 15. There's, you don't get nudity. I, Again, I, think it's so, I think it would have been maybe the hell themes. Maybe it was like a religious thing. Maybe. maybe. Uh, because there's a lot of it's him a shit hell of though, church. Isn't it? it's, yeah. it's a, you know, I read something that, at one point, it wasn't going to be actually hell. You was just going to see whether it was like a studio or an abandoned warehouse, and you're going to have characters talking about hell, and it, they were going to allude to it, and they decided that it wasn't enough. We need to show it. I reckon changing the idea midway through 
the CGI not being ready. It just yeah. It didn't it didn't end up being the film that they set it out to be. I mean, I mentioned, I mean, so this came out in 97. Two sequels were on the cards. Spawn 2 was due for release in 98. And Spawn 3, the ultimate battle, even had a even had a title. That was due <laughs> to be released in 1999. That's how sure they were. <laughs> they were they were all in. But of course, neither of these came to fruition and a sequel has been in development hell ever since. But McFarlane has completed a script for a reboot. I mean, initially they were slating it for a 2018 release. That's with Jamie Foxx. Yeah, I mean, come on. They've still not made that film. So the cast is in place. Blumhouse is distributing the film but it's still on hold or what on hold in development. It just keeps seeming to stop start. But this first film, it, the story was there. The comic was solid. And even though they put more money than they initially intended to into the film, it just, it didn't pay off. And we've reviewed comic book movies from the nineties I mean, this same year, Shaq O'Neal was steal for DC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which admittedly wasn't great either and had no connection to Superman, although the character does in the comics. But this is a film from the 90s that just looks extremely dated. I mean, you can watch films like The Phantom, The Shadow, and you can still appreciate them. And you don't watch them thinking, oh, that looks a bit shit. Oh, look at this. Yeah. That's terrible. But this yeah, movie, I... it's it is a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. And what would should have been a big blockbuster for New Line in 97, the runtime, about 90 minutes. Yeah, well, it, which was typical. I mean, you know, we talk about movies these days typically running at two hours or two and a half hours. That's I think that's like the normal superhero movie. But all movies from this era through to like 2010. I don't were, know about that. Were, you know, were, were, I, I felt like most of them comedies were, were aiming between an hour and a half to two hours. That was the, that was the norm with this. I just don't think, I think they rushed it. I think they needed uh, an experienced hand as an actual director on set. I think they uh, went all in on new tech for CGI when they should have gone with tried and true methods of practical effects. Um, the spawn costume itself, like the, the, the body armor part, I think they went the wrong way. They went with the like organic rubbery thing that itself probably didn't breathe very well. I feel bad for Michael Jai White who had to do all this action is like clearly heavy rubber probably didn't breathe he probably was cooking in that under all that crap um with all the stunt work like everything they just pushed it all too quick to strike why the iron was hot on this yeah, book, which ironically they were correct in terms of its like shelf life but maybe this movie is what drove down the comic book who knows but i just think the whole thing was rushed um 
the it's all so stupidly 90s in the the worst like hardcore way the 90s could be in terms well, the of the soundtrack like, like you know the the choice of music that they went for i mean the composer on the film was graham revel i mean he's got a massive back catalog the crow in 94 he did the mighty morphin power rangers film in 95 96 he did from the dawn the craft also in 96 Lara Croft, Tomb yeah. Raider, Daredevil in 2003. I mean, he's got a huge back catalogue, but they had to include all the rock slash metal slash electro music, which really, really, really dated it. But, you know, the, the soundtrack was was a was a success. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the costume because, yes, it did look like rubber. The mask that spawn wears is so distinctive it has a look of spider-man in the shape of the eyes but yeah. it looks like its own thing with the green eyes the mask and the red cape and the costume that's spawn but this is a film in 97 so the mask yeah. isn't there for a lot of the time you've got yeah. scarred face very reminiscent of wade wilson deadpool yeah. but the cape isn't there yeah. And it's because it's CGI and they add it when they need to. But it's very dated, problematic. But if you're going to rate this film out of five. I'm going to come in harsh. I'm going to come in at one out of five. This was oh, wow. a very hard watch. Uh, the directing was clearly poor. The editing was a mess. Um, the the generic metal music i don't blame that on graham revel i think that was the choice for to back it all up every as i said everyone's overacting despite the the fact that everyone's genuinely trying and they did spend the money i just think it was too early too fast too over ambitious and then and it they we've ended up with what they could use not what they wanted um, and yeah, that's why it's dragged me down so much. How about yourself? I agree with everything that you've just said, but I have a soft spot for this film. I can recognize when it's, I'm going to say, rubbish. I mean, the yeah. character is there, it's a strong character. So I'm hoping for a better adaption and that Jamie Foxx movie actually happens. But this film, although I can recognize it's pretty rubbish, but do you know what? I'm going to go extremely high and give it three out of five because I'm going to recommend it. It's a film to watch and you might not like everything you see, but it's an experience. It really is an experience. And as we've said, one of the few comic book movies we got out in the 90s. I'm glad that we finally got to review it on the podcast in time for the 25th anniversary. Well, that's it for our episode all about Spawn. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon.